TBRI. 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 Trust-based relational intervention. TBRI is an attachment-based trauma-informed intervention that is designed to meet the complex needs of vulnerable children. TBRI uses empowering principles to address physical needs, connecting principles for attachment needs, and correcting principles to disarm fear-based behaviors. While TBRI is based on years of attachment, sensory processing, and neuroscience research, the heartbeat of TBRI is connection. Hello and welcome to the TBRI podcast. On this show, we talk all about trust-based relational intervention, or TBRI. We talk about different elements of the model itself, and also about how TBRI is applied in various systems of care and practice. I'm Emily Pickett, producer of the podcast, and I am so glad you're back today to hear part two of our conversation with Dr. Debbie Ray. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the episode previous to this one, go ahead and pause, listen to part one, and then meet us right back here for part two. Today, our host, Sarah Mercado and Dr. Ray, really get into some of the practical applications of play. They talk about the difference between structured and unstructured play, and also why it's important to play outside. Once again, we'd like to thank Dr. Ray for joining us for these episodes and for sharing her wisdom. We've been talking back and forth, Debbie, about, and we're people are hearing a lot about um, unstructured versus structured play. Could you define those two things for us? Yeah, and and I know I've I've been talking about unstructured play, and people are probably going, well, what's what's the difference? Um, unstructured play is self-directed and self-controlled, and what that means is is that they're playing in a way that is a safe environment, but the way that they want to play. And so, like you mentioned a minute ago, Sarah, you know, back when you were young, you just went out and played. And when they rang the dinner bell or whistled for you, you knew it was time to come in for dinner. But today, we rarely see kids out playing on their own, independent of a family member or a parent or, you know, somebody being out there with them. And typically, the research shows they just don't get more than 100 yards away from their back door or front door uh, because of either feeling unsafe or just feeling like that people are watching. And if the kids are out there by themselves, then the parents are not doing what they need to do. They're not supervising like they should. And we, I don't know how we've gotten to this place, but we have. And um, I'm hoping the pendulum switching back, at least to the middle. But anyway, unstructured play is all about the child deciding what they want to do, how they want to do it. They put their own rules in place or their own activity skills in place and they can either have other people working with them or they can play by themselves. Um, I've always said with Link that we we don't stress to them that they have to play a certain way. We just make sure that it's a safe environment for them to play. So there aren't any big holes in the in the ground where they're going to be or we put something around that or there aren't snakes underneath a rock area that we go, oh yeah, go play in the rocks. That's just fine. Uh, things like that, you know, that we're just making sure it's a safe environment for them. Uh, they can have equipment out there. They can have, like on school grounds, there are playground equipment where they can swing and uh, climb things and go down slides and things like that. And that's not a problem at all, but they can also go out and uh, do other things with just a blank landscape, you know, 
rocks and twigs and uh, river base. You know, maybe there's just a trickle of water going through somewhere or just a puddle somewhere. And they can play with all that too. But that's unstructured play. Structured play is there are defined rules and defined strategies for how they will play the game. And it can be a team game, an individual dual game, but there's always somebody who's uh, usually gonna win or lose, typically. And also a structured, it's more specific to uh, dedicated motor skill development, or it might be around uh, learning certain types of games and sports that they can they can use, but it's it's more about a teacher or a family member or somebody telling them, hey, when I was young, I played this. Why don't you try that game? Or here's a jump rope. Here's how you use it. Those are structured instructions instead of unstructured. Hey, there's a box over there. Go see what's in it and see what you want to do with it. So what about the kids that go out and they want the soccer ball or the football and that it's during the recess time? To me, that feels more structured even without... I mean, if if you have a group of fifth graders that are going out for recess and you throw a football and a soccer ball out there, they're going to develop a rules-based game around it most likely. Is that okay? Or do you leave that type of equipment inside? Like what's the difference in what's in the box versus these things that just inherently by what they are come with rules and structure? It depends on what your uh, goal is with play. And our goal with Link is unstructured outdoor play as much as possible. With unstructured means we we don't allow them to do things that are structured. Now, if they put together their own game and it's got these loose rules to it and it changes every three minutes on what they want to use it for, no problem. But if if they are trying to do an organized game of football, soccer, baseball, basketball, whatever it may be, even if it's, uh, you know, like pickup style where they're, they've got three on three or two on two or whatever it is, we don't allow it. So uh, we don't allow any playground balls, footballs, baseballs, no balls on the playground at all for uh, pre-K through five. And then after that, with middle school and high school kids, uh, they can have that kind of equipment out there because we feel like enough of a base has been established with problem solving, social skills, communication, all those things through the things that we're working on with those elementary years, that they're much better to handle it once they get to sixth grade, seventh grade, and so forth, Uh, but not in the elementary school. We want okay. that to be problem-solving, collaborative, communicative, all those things. Okay. You were um, just about to stress me out because I'm an avid sports person. And so I, I wanted to know when we got to play the sports again. And, and I'm assuming, like, we don't want to go black and white on any of it right? Like they, the kids need the unstructured play. If they have, or if they're on a soccer team at four or five years old and they go to soccer practice, naturally that's going to be structured. It doesn't mean we've done anything wrong. It just means that we also need to make sure on the other side that they're getting this unstructured time to, like you said, learn how to learn, 
learn how things yeah. work, learn how to navigate relationships, learn how to navigate the world, right? Um, so I, I don't want people to get too far into one side or the other, because I think that's what keeps us from really meeting the needs of the kids. It's not bad to be on a team, right? That's a, that's a great skill, too. We just have to make sure they're getting both. Okay, good, good question. And we could, we could probably go back and forth for a while. But what I will say is, the younger kids really don't need team at all. Okay. When I talk about pre-K and K and one, they, their cognitive abilities to really understand team are not there. Don't exist. They need to play and play for play's sake. Okay. They're going to learn skills out on the playground. Um, and they can be learned at home. They can be learned during physical education classes those things are out there for them, but to learn to just be out there and play is what a young child needs more than anything in the world. I mean, that's where they really develop all the different aspects of themselves that start building self-confidence and self-esteem and some of those things around conflict and working with others. And, you know, we know that pre-K kids, um, <laughs> they they don't really like other kids anyway, right? They're, it's all about me. <laughs> and they, everything, they don't want to share. They, they, it's just all about me. But as they get older, they do want to share. And then before long, they don't even care about the adult anymore. They only care about their peers. And so it's, it's going through those developmental pieces that it's important for them to be able to go through those. On the playground, though, in, in an elementary school area, this is sometimes the only play experiences they get because they're not getting them at home. They're not getting them at a, a park or in nature. And so it may be the only thing they get. And with this particular goal in mind, I'm not saying don't have structured and unstructured. I'm saying we should be having physical education in the schools and unstructured play, which is our recess outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and my, um, you know, my competitive side of me wants to argue with you, but I actually agree with you um, <laughs> because I do know it's important and I do want to, you know, I, I just, the, the competitive sports were important to me as a kid, but I don't think they were that important to me as a four-year-old kid. Right. And so right. I think figuring out, is it important to me as the adult for my child to get going on this thing that was so valuable to me at such a young age? Or is it important for the child to have, like, what do they need? And, and to really focus exactly. on that. And, and I think that's why it's so important to focus on the, you know, the, in TBRI, we talk about focusing on the why behind the behavior. But what's the why yeah. behind the adult's behavior and the adult's interest in this activity? Um, I would love for you, um, we're, we're kind of wrapping up, but I have a big doozy of a question for you, and it's not going to be short, and I know that. You've talked about five categories of play with us before. Would you um, highlight which, what each of those is, and then give us just one or two examples, maybe for the littles, and, and then one or two examples for the teens, and I don't know if you differentiate between, I always think of them as littles, middles, and bigs, but you know, if that if you have a differentiation, if not just for the littles and then maybe the teenagers, sure. kind of kind of what those categories of play look like and, and how does that play out? Yeah. So let me start by saying thank you for that question, because that's that's a very important one. 
when you're outside and you've got different aspects of nature that you can engage in, you definitely can use all five of the categories I'm going to talk about. But if you have to come inside to play because it's too cold outside or um, it's too icy or, you know, there's a blizzard or there's a hurricane or whatever, you still want to have the, st the play components in place indoors. So these five components I'm going to talk about are used outdoors naturally, or you can create other things outside, or we use them indoors specifically with certain equipment or tactics in place where they can use them. So let me talk about um, the first one is make-believe. And when we think about make-believe with, with young kids, with the littles, it's really easy for them because they love they live in a make-believe world. I mean, that's what they do, right? So outside, it may be things like they go over and they're looking at uh, doodle bugs going in and out of a little, little hole somewhere, and they're make-believing that they're on some planet all by themselves doing their thing, right? But if you bring make-believe inside, now it may be things like uh, costume kind of stuff that they can use. Uh, for example, sometimes it's uh, like uh, safari kind of stuff where the kids can act like they're on a safari and they're going through the jungles and how do they do whatever. And so you can have different stuff that they may dress up in and, and work on that. Or make-believe can also be that you have, and we used to have these in schools, I can't believe we don't have them anymore, but have kitchen sets, you know, with pots and pans and ovens and all kinds of stuff. And they can make believe that they're cooking or they're uh, setting up a, a party, you know, for others. And so that can even be your next level of kids who can even do stuff like that, where they're organizing a group to come over and hang out. And how do they, how do they make that work, right? Make believe for a teen can still be out there, but it may be more around um, something's there for them to act on. So for example, it might be logs that are all put in different ways and you've given them some kind of strategy, uh, told them a scenario, and now it's make-believe on how do they work, how do they do that scenario? And so they're able to really focus around play for themselves, but it's more make-believe for that. Mm -hmm. um, expressive is the second one. And expressive is all about creativity and music and being able to either use your body with expression, like dancing to music or playing to music or just having it in the background is something that helps you move or maneuver in different movement skills with what you do with the expressiveness outdoors. So wind chimes can be hanging from a tree somewhere and that just gives the sounds to kids where they're outside or even musical instruments that are built now for the outdoors that are big chime kind of things mm -hmm. that they can play on or drums that they can play on or even these uh, miniature pianos, all kinds of stuff that they can do. Indoors, you could use one of those uh, piano um pieces that goes on the ground and they use their feet or their hands to play the piano in there. So you can do stuff like that that's expressive. Or you could have some kind of um, abstract kind of video on the wall and they can dance to the abstractness or, you know, following different patterns 
not in a structured pattern, but just how they want to follow a pattern on the on the wall that kind of makes them move in different ways. The manipulative one is so important because manipulative, we know that with kids in an outdoor environment, they use out of a 15 minute time, two thirds of it is related to manipulative activities, which relates to physics, chemistry, science kinds of things, um, math. It's all more numerical and how they work different angles and ways to do what they do, building, you know, setting up whatever it is. Indoors, we can do the same thing with all kids and all kids at the uh, little kid, middle school, high school level. Manipulatives just change in how we strategize, right? But you can have a, a bucket of bolts and nails and uh, boards and hammers, and a little kid is just going to see how they tap on something, right? But the middle school kids may, and we're including fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth in that, uh, they may take it and start building some simple things. But by high school, they're building with each other to make something really useful. And oh. so it just depends on the, air, the time period, but they're all using it in those ways. And the, the materials that they have outdoors, it just, same thing. They just use it together more or they are using it in very simple ways. Um, physical is climbing trees outside, swinging from a, <clears throat> a tree on a rope out to a different area, uh, being able to use the slides, the swings, uh, jumping off of things, and just naturally running using locomotor skills like running and skipping and galloping and things like that. Inside, we would use balance pods, poly spots, uh, deck rings, which don't go real far, but they're still like a, a rubber fo a foam kind of uh, a donut. So they can grab hold of it and toss it to a cone, things like that. Uh, they can use hula hoops, jump ropes, all kinds of stuff indoors and still be able to get some physicality. I will say indoors does not replace outdoors. You got you have so much more room to move outdoors, but the types of activities that they can use physically, uh, it really, yes, there are ways that it can change, but it's using the same kind of materials. It's just different ways that they may manipulate them or use them. And then finally, the last one is creative. And on this one, that has to do with art, or creativity of things. So Play-Doh, uh, working with sand, that um, kinetic sand that doesn't really make a mess, mm -hmm. uh, using Etch-a-Sketches, drawing, painting, all that is creative. And you can just imagine, for little bitty kids, they may want to eat the Play-Doh. We don't want that to happen. <laughs> but other than that, they, you know, they may be drawing, they may be you know, using stuff in the kinetic sand with like uh, cookie cutters. As they get older into middle school, uh, they'll advance that creativity to we can give them bigger objects to work with or different types of objects with different shapes and sizes that they can work with. And then high school, they may be doing stuff with clay, uh, actually like an art class, but you can have it in their playtime where they can go out there and, and work differently. I, I do want to stress, though, that once they get to middle and high school, 
you may, if they've had link as early grades, younger grades, or they have had the opportunity to work with uh, play throughout the day, once they get to middle and high, it's better to have like a 30 minute time or a, a one of their classes is based on recess type mindset. And they can, they can actually do a jam session where the kids with mu musicians that come with their instruments, they do a jam session and they write music and play during that time. Art people go and they do all kinds of, uh, whether it's with clay or um, maybe other types of um, materials that make paintings or uh, bronze or whatever they're working on. Whereas for the young kids, it's more just very unstructured kind of play, but it becomes more of their interest as they go into middle school and high school. So I really love that, Debbie. And I was thinking as you were talking that um, when my oldest, who she's a sophomore in college now, and ironically says that her favorite classes are the ones that come with labs. And now I have a great understanding for why, because it's just such active time and you know they're experimenting and they're being creative and they're doing all of the things in that time that and is probably has some structure but at the same time it definitely brings in more of that creativity um but when when she was in junior high the principal of that school came in and decided to have basically before school recess for kids that got there earlier and lunchtime and he brought in you know it was there was structure to it and that he brought in basketball goals and soccer goals and footballs. And, uh, but it was the same thing. You could take your instruments out, you could pull out your art pad and it all happened outside. Um, and on the rainy days, they opened up the gym for them. And it, it was just, to me, it was like the smartest thing I had seen and so cutting edge, you know, now almost 10 years ago to think about saying, Hey, kids, and especially that age group that I feel like in particular, we're constantly trying to corral that age group and just prevent anything from happening because their, you know, energy is just wonky. And, uh, and it made such a difference. It made such a difference. And he would go out there and play with them. And it was just, it was just unbelievable. Um, Today, Debbie, it is uh, about 32 degrees where I am, and I'm, uh, you know, outside of Austin in Texas, which is basically the depth of winter for us, and we wouldn't dream necessarily of on a, a day where it's at or below freezing of taking our kids outside to play. That just seems like, you know, a, a, a sick kid waiting to happen kind of adventure for us or really taxing to deal with all the coats and all the things. But a few years ago, I went up to Canada to do a training and it was literally like the coldest I've ever been in my whole life. It was like blizzard and they had the kids out there playing and it was, it was zero stress. So what do we do about weather? And uh, we'll, we'll wrap up after this, but I, I just would love for you to speak uh, a little bit about how much do we need to worry about during this 15 minutes, what the weather looks like, if it takes 10 minutes to get the jackets and boots on, is it worth it? All of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Thanks for that question. Um, so weather down here, you, you clearly mentioned that we're not used to it. So when it happens, we really don't have the clothing necessary to be in minus temperatures or even zero temperature. 
So I did some research on what was good for the South in the United States versus what temperatures could somebody in the Northeast or the Midwest or the, the Northwest, how could they handle some of the temperatures? And what I found is the uh, National Weather Service and the CDC have both said that when you don't have the material, the clothing, to really dress for really low temperatures, the lowest you should go where a child can be in shorts and t-shirt and tennis shoes is 13 degrees field temperature. Field temperature. What? Not actual temperature, but the field temperature. So wind chill uh, added to it. If 13 degrees is the wind chill, you could still be outside. What we say is, is if the winds are really high, even though they may say the field temperature is 13, if the winds are really high, it's, it could be other particles are in the air that could be not so good for the kids, right? So as long as the winds aren't high, and when I say that, I mean like, you know, anything lower than uh, 20 miles an hour that has a 13 degree wind chill, you're still okay. But anything more than that, and it's too windy for those kids to be out there and still endure. The teachers, on the other hand, have got to dress warm. I mean, they've got to buy the, the types of coats and gloves and uh, stuff to protect their heads and ears. They've got to do that. But up north, uh, I've got a school up in Michigan right now, in Houghton, Michigan, which is in the Upper Peninsula. And right now, they're dealing with below zero temperatures. And as long as it's not icy, they're still going outside. But again, you don't teach, you don't say we're not going out until everybody has their coat on. You go to recess and those kids are going to get those coats on real quick, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, it's only the young ones, the little kids, the pre-Ks that you have to say, okay, let's make sure you got that jacket on before you go out there and get bundled up. But once they get into kinder and first, they know what they're doing and they, they've learned it. So uh, to answer your question... <laughs> 13 down here, up there, uh, They I've heard in Alaska as low as 20 degrees below, and in uh, Finland, it's about a 20, 25 degree below. Well, you're now speaking in temperatures that make no sense to me, um, <laughs> but I think some of our friends that can survive those temperatures don't understand 105, which makes sense to us. Um Debbie, thank you so much every time. Literally, I always learn from you. I'm excited to um, continue the conversation and continue to uh, share the work that each of us um, participate in so that, that we can continue to create the best environment for kids. So thanks for being on the podcast and for being with us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. I really appreciate the relationship that we have. The TBRI podcast is produced by the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development at TCU. To learn more about TBRI and the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit child.tcu.edu slash podcast.